You are now listening to Hack My Age, the show that brings you guests with information on how to make yourself hard to kill and help you live to 100 and beyond in good condition. I'm your host, Zora Benamou, a digital nomad currently stuck in Spain, certified sports nutrition coach and master student of gerontology at USC. I am the creator of the Longevity Master Plan, an online program to slow aging and author of the cookbook, Eating for Longevity. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review to help others find us too. This episode is sponsored by Primadine, a supplement that if I had to choose only one, it would pretty much be this one. It's because Primadine is spermidine, and this has been shown to activate autophagy, which is super important, and it's basically a cellular cleanup and recycling process that declines as we age. When we get older, our cells accumulate a lot of junk and a lot of waste, and this isn't really great for us, so we need to clean it up. So if you want some research, go to primadine.com, and you can see all of it supporting cognitive health and heart health, hormone balancing, and long and strong hair, nails, and eyelashes by using spermidine. So another very important reason why I love primidine in particular so much is that I've never had received ever as much feedback about a product as I have with primidine. Literally several times a week, someone reaches out to me on Facebook or Instagram with an amazing testimonial. And most of the time it's about improved sleep. So I can honestly say that I can 100% be convinced now that primidine is the best spermidine supplement you'll ever find. And you can try it with a 15% discount by using the code Zora, Z-O-R-A, on primadine.com. And that's P-R-I-M-E-A-D-I-N-E.com. Now enjoy the show. Okay. Well, hello, Age Disruptors. Today, I'm recording this podcast with a live studio audience. And all of you attending this recording are members of the Hack My Age VIP program. And part of being in this exclusive club is the ability to dial in and watch the interviews as they are recorded and ask your own questions. And if you want to be a part of this amazing community, go to patreon.com forward slash hack my age and sign up not only for these cool interviews, but so much more. So our Our guest today may shock and surprise you and because she's known as the vagina coach and she's disrupting taboo topics to help women all over the world overcome problems of our most intimate parts like vaginal prolapse and incontinence, which is a bigger problem than you may think. And I first met Kim Vopney because members of our biohacking women 50 plus club in clubhouse were telling me to go reach out to her so we can talk about vagina issues related to our age group, like sneeze peas and vaginal dryness. Um, Yeah, we talk about everything in that club. And I was blown away by what she told us. And I love that she does not accept, quote unquote, like light bladder leakage as just part of being a woman. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. 
So Kim is a very qualified pelvic floor specialist and fitness professional, and she's also got a degree in psychology and a postgraduate certificate in health and fitness. And she writes books and regularly speaks publicly to campaign for women's health. And she just wrote a book earlier this year called Your Pelvic Floor. And Kim is the founder of Pelvian Wellness Incorporated. And this is a company that gives pelvic health programs, products, and coaching for women in pregnancy, motherhood, and yes, menopause. She also created a really cool recovery and birth prep system for pregnant women called the ab system. Now I totally want to be a part of this and I'm wondering if I can use this for my own abs, even though I'm way beyond childbearing years. And, um, and if you guys are listening and are health professionals out there, or just want to be one, Kim also certifies people to know how to specifically work with women who have core and pelvic floor challenges through a couple of certification courses she offers called one is the core confidence specialist, and she's got the pre postnatal fitness specialist. And, and this is really amazing. We need more people like Kim advocating for women's health and fitness. And if you can't wait, just go and find her online at vaginacoach.com and on social media and Facebook, Instagram at vagina coach. So it's super easy. <laughs> so without further ado, meet Kim Vapney, the vagina coach. Welcome. Thank you so much. I appreciate the lovely introduction and I'm really excited to be here and share. Thank you for the opportunity. Again, well, thanks for giving us permission to use the word vagina. I'm going to use it many times. <laughs> You've got a great handle name. So how in the world do you become the vagina coach? Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that title was sort of later in the game. How, how I got into this line of work was really, I could trace it back to grade six, where I saw a childbirth video as part of our sexual ed class. And I went home with this fear fascination and I sort of looked at my mom differently and all women differently. And, and I grew up saying, I'm not doing that. It's not for me. And that was it. I was never going to have kids. And then of course I, you know, I got married, decided I did want to start a family but was really determined to have a different story than what my mom had had. So when I saw that video, I was curious. I did ask questions to my mom. She's very open. Uh, she shared everything. Uh, she had episiotomy birth. So that's where they cut your perineum, the, the tissue in between the vagina and the anus, thinking that it creates more space for a babe. So she had episiotomies. She had incontinence. She had surgery for that. She had chronic back pain. She had a tummy that wouldn't flatten. So all of these things that were sort of attributed back to pregnancy and childbirth. And I really wanted to have a different story or do whatever I possibly could. And I used midwives and, and was asking about how I can protect my pelvic floor. How can I prevent tearing and incontinence? And they had said, you know, there's perineal massage, but there's also this device we know of called the Epino. And it's a, it's manufactured in Germany. It's a biofeedback device and I purchased one. It had, it made perfect sense to me. It was about strengthening and stretching, stretching, which is a lot of what fitness is based around. And so after I had a good experience, you know, I credit midwives, of course, I credit some other preparation work that I was doing, but I also credit this product, especially because my son crowned sideways, which is the widest way to come out. And I had no tearing or abrasions and my midwives even were saying that's pretty remarkable so I, I do accredit a lot to that product. And so I reached out to them and said, Hey, I'd like to be a distributor. Why does, why doesn't the whole entire world know about this product? 
And that's how it started. And I didn't intend for it to be a business. I just thought I would sell this a little bit on the side and, and carry on. And long story short, 2009, I was laid off from my corporate job, started a website, started selling this, reaching out to other people. And that's really where it started. And then I started a second company where that, that ab system that you talked about became part of my story. And then the vagina coach piece came about four or five years ago. I was speaking to, it was the, the mompreneur conference, national conference in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And it was about 350, 400 women, all entrepreneurs of some sort, all of the people speaking were some sort of a business coach. And my talk was how optimizing your pelvic health can make you a better mompreneur. And so when I came up on stage, I sort of joked, I said, well, now you have a vagina coach for your business. And it sort of, it was meant to be a joke, but it was a bit of a light bulb moment. And I said, that really sums up what I do. Cause at the time I, when I started, I was working primarily with pregnant women and new moms and fitness doula was my handle. So I had trained as a doula. I trained as, and I was a personal trainer. So I combined those two, but as I moved through the life stages myself and started working with people in perimenopause and midlife fitness doula didn't resonate. So I knew I needed to change and I had been kind of contemplating it for a year or so. And then that light bulb happened and that's where that, that term came from. So that's the that's amazing. <laughs> I love, I love these stories. I have people fall into these and how the, the name just sticks. So, you know, you're the vagina coach, but in fact, it's so much more than just the vaginas. I've been learning through your programs. It's the pelvic floor. I mean, you're a pelvic floor specialist and, and I'm sure people out there may not even know where that is or what, what it, what it entails. Maybe you can explain a little bit more. In, what is the pelvic floor? I have lots of little props that I like to use too, for those that can, can watch, but yeah. So essentially the, the pelvis, we, every, every person male or female has a pelvis. We all, we all have bones that form the kind of the bony scaffolding of our pelvis. And then we have muscles that close off the, the base of the pelvis. And that's considered the pelvic floor. So in the female body, this in, if you're watching, this is a person that you could imagine lying on their back. And we have at the front of our pelvis, we have a pubic joint. So people call it kind of a pubic bone, but it is actually just two joints there or two bones, sorry, to make a joint. So there's a pubic joint. We have two bones on the sides called our ischial tuberosities, but sits bones is much easier to say. So sits bones here. And then at the back, we have our tailbone. And so the pubic joint sits bones, tailbone make up the attachment points for the pelvic floor muscle. So it's sort of like a diamond shape and the pelvic floor muscles, it's plural. It's not just one muscle. It is, it is layers of multiple muscles, the first two layers. So it's three layers of muscles. The first two layers are primarily responsible for closing opening. So you can think of our continents. It helps keep pee-poo fart inside unless we want it to come out. And it also allows it to come out when we want it to. The third layer is primarily responsible for supporting our organs. So in the female anatomy, there's the bladder, the uterus, and the rectum. And the pelvic floor also plays a role in our sexual response. It also plays a role in our pelvic and spinal stability and core. So it's part of, it's the foundation of our core. Everybody's heard the term core before, and it also acts in synergy with our diaphragm. So every time we take a breath, the pelvic floor is moving along with it. And it, it has sort of a sump pump action that helps with circulation and blood flow and moving lymph around our body uh, as well. So really, really important jobs. And we are never told any information about this. We're, we're 
we're never given any information about what the pelvic floor is, why it's important. And that as women and female anatomy people, we have menstrual cycles, we have hormone fluctuations, we can carry babies, we can birth babies. And all of those have a direct influence on the pelvic floor and can influence the function as well. So in my opinion, this should be covered like back in grade six, when I was learning about sexual wellness and saw a childbirth video, wouldn't that be a great opportunity to talk about the importance of this group of muscles specifically for women, tell both boys and girls, male, female, but, and presented in a way, I would say like presented in a way that we have superpowers. Don't present it as like, well, you're going to menstruate and you know, you're going to, you know, it's awesome. Like all these things that we do. And that's why we have to pay extra attention to this group of muscles because we need it to support us through all of the changes that we go through. It's so great. You had this little model. And if you're listening now, you got to go watch the, the, the YouTube video because you're right. I, pelvic floor muscles, people may not even be able to visualize it. No one talks about it. And I've had my trainer talk about the pelvic floor and I'm just, just goes over my head, like somewhere down there, (laughs) or maybe Kegels or something like I, it's hard to even imagine, but that's why it's so important that we learn. And I'm so glad that you're doing this. And so now that we know it's very important and it's this muscle we need to train and probably doesn't get enough training. It just seems to get a lot of wear and tear, I guess, or where it's very important and we're using it, but we're not actually training it. So what, what are some of the problems, you know, with, with older women, cause I can imagine with childbirth and, and uh, women going through pregnancy, there's a lot of issues, but what are you seeing for women over 50? What's happening to their pelvic floor muscles there and what issues do they have? Yeah. So the majority, I think it's about 80% of women will give birth at some point in their life and pregnancy and childbirth are directly their known risk factors for pelvic floor challenges. So at midlife, we can anticipate that the majority of people in midlife have been pregnant and given birth at some point in their life, not everybody. And you do not need to have been pregnant or given birth to experience pelvic floor challenges, but it is definitely a contributor. And sometimes little signs and symptoms may have been presenting themselves along the way. And it's not until midlife when we have a major shift in our hormones that things start to scream really loud at you and really start to shift. So it could be the first time that things show up, but it also could be when they start to show up on a greater scale or a greater level. And the most common ones would be, so incontinence is definitely one people call it sneeze pee. People call it peezing. There's stress urinary incontinence, which is where little bits of urine will leak out over the day with some sort of exertion. And that exertion could be a laugh, cough, sneeze. That's why people call it peezing, but it could also be standing up from a chair, or it could be pushing a door open, or it could be lifting a weight, all sorts of things. So anytime that there's a bit of a rise in our intra abdominal pressure, we all have intra abdominal pressure and there's different fluctuations through the day. When we manage the pressure, well, those openings close off, no problem. But when we don't manage the pressure, well, there's some sort of an increase, but our, our pelvic floor isn't able to manage that increase in pressure. So a little bit of urine will leak out. So that's stress urinary incontinence. There's also urge incontinence. And that is where some people call it key in the door syndrome, where they'll be going about their day. They're totally fine. And then maybe they're in their car, they're driving home and they start to say, Oh, I have to go to the bathroom. And then they get out of the car and they start to put the key in the door 
And it's like their bladder says, woohoo, we're home. And then it starts to just, it just wants to let go. And, and there can sometimes be a complete release of the bladder. So not just a little leak, but a whole, they can't get to the bathroom in time. What is it? Why does that happen? Like literally you put the key in the door and that it's like Pavlov's dog. It's training. Yeah. yeah. We can train the opposite, which is, which is part of the, from a treatment perspective, but it, a lot of it is habits. A lot of it is, is just conditioning and the bladder is, can be trained like a, it is a muscle and it can be trained. So it just knows that every time she comes home, we always go to the bathroom. So I'm getting ready and yeah, <laughs> a little so, too early though sometimes. <laughs> yeah. But it can happen throughout the day too. Some people can be triggered by the sound of water. Some people can be triggered by foods that they eat. And again, it's habits. If you pee every time before every exercise class, your bladder is always going to signal you before every exercise class. If you pee every time you get home, it's, you know, we've just talked about. So it becomes it's habits that can contribute, but it's also foods that can contribute. It's also nerve damage, sometimes nerve and the inability to control different sensations can play a role as well. And people can have a mixture. They can have mixed incontinence, which would be a combination of stress urinary incontinence and urge incontinence. The one you just talked about with the key is called the urge incontinence. Urge incontinence. Urge yeah. incontinence. So UI, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting. There's like full names for these things. Yeah. And it's important to know the difference, right? Um, yeah. And then there's also anal incontinence. So people that have the inability to control gas or stool, that's less common, but it is significantly more life altering. And, uh, and that's, it's possible. So people that can't control a fart or they can't control stool leaking out of their body, that would be, that would put a halt to a lot of social activities. Yeah. And, activities, so. and that's a part because of a weak pelvic floor. It can be, it can be from overactivity in the muscles. It can be laxity in the muscles. It can be nerve damage. It can be from in tissue injury. So potentially tearing, um, that may have occurred from a surgery or a childbirth could happen just from a surgery. Then we have, so those are sort of the continence pieces. And then we also have organ prolapse. So this is where the bladder, the uterus and, or the rectum shift out of their optimal position. And they can start to bulge into or descend into the, the vagina. So in the case of the bladder, it can bulge into the anterior, the front wall of the vagina, the rectum can bulge into the posterior or the back wall of the vagina and the uterus can descend from the top down into the vagina. So when that happens, that's called pelvic organ prolapse. And that is literally like your organs coming out of your vagina that you can see it or feel it. Like it's, you absolutely can. So early stage, you wouldn't necessarily see it. Not everybody feels it. Once it descends to the point where it's at the entrance to the vagina, you will definitely see it and feel it. And some people, it actually protrudes out. Now your organ will actually not fall out of your body. It's actually bulging into the vagina. So it's the, it's technically the wall of the vagina, but the organ is making it present itself. So your organ will never, it's not like you're going to stand there and your uterus will literally fall out of your bladder. (laughs) That won't happen, but you will definitely have a bulge in an extreme case. So there's, it's graded grade one, two, three, four, Grade four would be where there is a visible bulge outside of the entrance to the vagina. So if you could imagine almost like a scrotum outside of the vagina, the, on the outside of the vulva, really, that's kind of what it appears like. And yeah, so early stage prolapse is often asymptomatic and statistically over 50% of women have some degree of prolapse. Really? Of all ages? Of all ages. 
And that's people who've given birth, people who haven't given birth. So there's a statistic after birth of, I think it's like at six weeks postpartum, whether you've had a vaginal or cesarean birth, it's about 80, just over 80% of women will have some degree of prolapse That's huge. and some of them will resolve. And then again, sort of the ongoing statistic is 50%. So it's super, super common, more common actually statistically than incontinence, but not talked about at all. Never talked about. And then, so midlife, again, these things may have actually been around for a little while. And then at midlife, when we no longer have estrogen circulating, our pelvis, the walls of our vagina, we, it loves estrogen. It's very estrogen rich. And when we no longer produce estrogen, the walls of the vagina, a great analogy I heard from a, a pelvic floor physiotherapist was when we have estrogen circulating the walls of the vagina, we have these things called rugae, which are like folds within the walls of the vagina. And, and you could imagine it's like a pleated skirt. So it has the capacity to expand and contract for sexual activity or for childbirth. When we no longer have circulating estrogen, those rugae start to flatten, it starts to narrow, and now we have a pencil skirt. Without the estrogen, we no longer have that suppleness and the tissue becomes thinner, the walls of the vagina become narrower. It used to be called vaginal atrophy, which is a terrible term. And now there's a new term called genitourinary syndrome of menopause, which you can shorten that to GSM, but that's kind of lumping all of the things together, which I don't necessarily agree with either. So it's semantics really, but at the end of the day, we no longer have estrogen. We have thinning tissue. We have dry, irritated tissue. So vaginal dryness is very, very common. Over 80% of women will experience vaginal dryness and menopause. And that's a symptom that will not improve with time. Things like hot flashes, you know, mood swings, that stuff will typically resolve and go away, but vaginal dryness will not. So that's one of the more common things. And that will then also exacerbate the lack of support that we have for the organs and the capacity for those openings to be closed. So estrogen really is incredibly valuable for the health of our pelvic floor as we move into midlife and beyond. So then would estrogen replacement be part of your protocol that you would recommend? I personally recommend it. I believe Estrogen has a bad rap. So estrogen, there's a lot of fear associated with it. And that came from the Women's Health Initiative, which we now know was really a very flawed study. Out of that research, it put a lot of people into a tremendous amount of fear. And that's still, we're still dealing with that. However, there is a lot more research now on all of the benefits for our brain, for our bones, for our heart, for our skin, for our vaginas. Estrogen Matters is a fantastic book. The Estrogen Fix is another fantastic book. Specifically, people that may still have some sort of fear around estrogen cream, so topically or even oral estrogen, local vaginal estrogen really stays pretty, it's in the tissues of the vagina. So it doesn't necessarily go very, very little would ever go systemically. So local vaginal estrogen can be transformative for people. And rather, in my opinion, rather than wait until it's a really huge problem, once you're close to menopause and, you know, cause you, you probably, maybe you haven't had a period for a few months or maybe it's fluctuating or maybe right at, at that one year anniversary when you, when you have had no more, no periods, that's your one day of menopause. That's a great time to book your appointment with your doctor, your naturopathic physician, and talk about local vaginal estrogen and support those tissues. I think there's even an argument to start a little bit before then, because we already have fluctuate, fluctuating estrogen as we're approaching menopause. So let's be proactive about it. 
There's vaginal estradiol, which is typically what would be prescribed from the medical community and estriol, which is a slightly less potent, I guess, version of, of estrogen, you could say. And that is typically prescribed more so through naturopathic or functional medicine. So that's what I'm on is vaginal estriol. Uh, it could be a cream. It could be, a, I, I have a tiny little pellet that I insert. And I believe that there's arguments for local vaginal estrogen, but also even systemically, but that's a personal choice. I would recommend reading those books and, and become evidence informed. Uh, there's tremendous research to support that. There's also hyaluronic acid, which can also play a role. It's sort of like we spend an enormous amount of time moisturizing, washing our faces, going to skincare clinics, buying all sorts of fancy serums. A lot of those serums have hyaluronic acid in it. Hyaluronic acid is something we produce in our bodies, but less as we age. And then again, why not start? There's no reason we shouldn't even start this in our thirties, start moisturizing your vagina at night. You put in your hyaluronic acid. There's one that I like that is hyaluronic acid, vitamin E, very clean, no other garbage in it. Is that a, is that a something like a cream or something you put on or what is yeah, it? This one is a gel. There are some companies that have little ovules that you can insert um, that are sort of like slow release. So there's different versions and different compared to Canada, the US, United um, UK or Europe or what have you, but hyaluronic acid in and of itself is the, the key ingredient. And I like as little other fillers as possible, but vitamin E also can be very beneficial. So that's why I like this particular one, the website, you can go to find it. I'm not financially tied to it. It's called moisturizeyourvagina.com. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my favorite one. And it is a gel and you put it in at night and carry on. And it, it has transformed so many people's lives just by using that within days. So hyaluronic acid can retain moisture, a huge amount of moisture. And then it also helps heal already dry, irritated tissue. So for people who are experiencing vaginal dryness, then you can use hyaluronic acid to help heal that. And then also help replenish and retain more moisture going forward so that it's not an ongoing prob problem. Is there a difference between the gels or, or in the creams and the one that you insert? Like I, I call it like a little bullet. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a little pellet or a bullet. Is there a difference in terms of efficacy? Not that I know of any evidence that, that has shown that. So there you can have creams, gels, or as I said, like little pellets or little ovules. So from an estrogen perspective, I like the pellet. It's easy. It's not messy. And it, I just use this. It's almost like a little tampon applicator that I use to plunge it in basically mm -hmm. and put it in at night and that's it. So I prefer that it's a little bit easier for me. It's not messy. It, you just plunge in the pellet and it's there and it does its work. The creams are a little more to get them into the actual applicator, or you can use your finger, but I find that it, you don't, it's hard to get it all exactly up inside where you want it to be. So I prefer the pellets myself or the ovules compared to the creams and the gels. But there's, I also use both local vaginal estrogen and I also use a, it's called Biest. It's a, it's an estrogen cream that's compounded from a, a compounding pharmacy. And I put that either on my arms or on my labia. So it's external, whereas the pellet goes right internal. Yeah. The pellet is the one that, that I use as well. And I was, I was surprised the first time doctor, I, I was like, do we really like shove this in and, and know what's going to happen. It felt very weird in the beginning. You get used to it, but it makes perfect sense. And then just this morning while I was there, I'll have to talk about the Buff Muff program where you were telling us how to do the pelvic exercises. Like while I'm here, let me see if I'm doing these exercises <laughs> and you can feel the difference. So, and I have to tell you the, a year ago, 
my doctor told me, oh, you have vaginal atrophy. And I was like, what's that? And then learned about it. And I, can we reverse it? Can we do something about it? So she recommended the, the ovules of the estrogen. And one year later, she did a scan and says, well, it's gone. You're, you're fine. And I was like, you mean I reversed aging <laughs> because it's not only as I understand, you know, vaginal dryness, but you're pretty much drying up on the inside, the whole body as well with the lack of estrogen. So you can imagine, yeah, the, the I, I, I'm happy to report that this stuff really works. Although I had zero symptoms. I, I, I was surprised. I was like, what does that mean? I know that I didn't have agile nodritis or any other typical symptoms, but I'm more of a proactive person. I said, okay, let's, let's like before this, yes. you know, I feel the symptoms, let's like get out of control. Let's do something about it. And this stuff really works. So I, I want to get into the, your, your pelvic floor exercises and recommendations and how does this really transform people's lives? Because what you're teaching is something is therapy. It's something we can all do. It's free and we just have to learn how to do it. And so I mentioned either the buff muff program, I guess that's sort of an introductory way to understand what pelvic floor exercises is. And I absolutely love it. It's a 28 day challenge. And I jumped in, I said, this is so affordable. I can totally do it. And 28 days, let's see, understand what we're doing here. And I love how you introduce the five simple exercises more or less every single day. It doesn't take more than 10 minutes or so. And then you but the way you explain things, the way you guide, because it's literally like somebody says to squeeze your pelvic floor. Well, what does that really mean? So I would love for you to explain a little bit more, um, not only about the Buff Muff program, but um, what you teach people in terms of exor- pelvic floor exercises and how that can help their vaginal prolapse or um, incontinence, et cetera. So the hyaluronic acid and the estrogen address the tissue. And within the pelvis, we also have muscle, which is tissue, but we have muscles that need to work like the rest of our body. We have muscles all, all in our body. We have slow twitch fibers. We have fast twitch fibers and the pelvic floor is no different. So we can train it with quick contract releases that train the the fast twitch. And we can do slow sustained holds, which can, which train the, the slow twitch aspect. And those in and of it's like, also when we, when we know how to do pelvic floor exercise correctly, and we're doing it consistently, that also helps with the dryness and the atrophy because it helps with blood flow and circulation and activation. So the two really go hand in hand. And we, most people have heard of a Kegel era Kegel, 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 tomato, tomato. (laughs) However, so it's very often prescribed, but very rarely has anybody truly been taught how to do them? We've maybe been given a pamphlet or we've just been told, go home and make sure you do your Kegel exercises. And so there's this bit of an elusive exercise that people are like, well, I don't know, am I doing it correctly or not? And you went and, but we're proactive and said, can you please check? But nobody really thinks about doing that. And sometimes when we're in a doctor's appointment, they have seven to 10 minutes and we don't have a ton of time in, in the doctor's defense. They've got to rule out all the severe things and they don't, they don't necessarily spend the time. So gold standard, in my opinion, to learn how to do Kegels is to see a pelvic floor physical therapist, physiotherapist. If you're in Canada, or the UK physical therapy, if you're in the United States, same profession, different name, they are physios with additional training in the pelvic floor, they can evaluate and treat beyond the entrance to the vagina, and they can assess your capacity to 
contract and sort of draw up and in and then let go. So a pelvic floor contraction is when you think back to what I was talking about with the three layers of muscles, we need openings closed. So the first part of a Kegel is kind of a closure, a squeeze action. And then there's the third layer that is responsible for organ support. And we need sort of a lift action to happen. And then we need to make sure we let that go. And in today's day and age, with all of the sitting that we do with the high stress that we have, there's actually people who have more tension. They, they have a harder time relaxing Then people would say, well, isn't that a good thing? Like if I have a tight pelvic floor, that would mean I wouldn't leak or I wouldn't, my organs wouldn't bulge or I would be fine. But when we have muscles that aren't relaxing, then we don't have the blood flow. We don't have the circulation and we don't have the capacity for power. So just like if I, so here's, if my arm anybody who's listening, you know, your arm is extended out in front of you or down to the side. And if I was to curl my hand up towards my shoulder to do what would be considered a bicep curl, when my arm is straight out, that would be its optimal resting length. And I have a full range of motion and a full opportunity to generate power because it's been at its optimal resting length. If I then walked around with my arm bent, and so my elbow is bent and and it's, my hand is now halfway to my shoulder, And maybe even I'm carrying a bag of groceries on there. If I was to walk around like that, my arm is going to get very sore and it's going to ache and it's going to get tired. And if I then needed to lift more or move my hand closer to my shoulder, it would, it would be like, I can get there, but it hurts and it's hard and I'm tired. And so that same thing happens in our pelvic floor. If we have overactivity in the pelvic floor and the muscles are kind of held in a chronically tense state or active state. When I have cognies, I do some sort of an exercise. My muscles are like, Oh, I, I almost could close that opening, but I've just been stuck here and tired and I don't have as much room for power left. So sometimes we need to relax and release tension before we actually go to the activation piece. And my philosophy with regards to pelvic floor fitness is that it's really a whole body approach. So Kegels are a form of pelvic floor exercise, and they're a good place to start to help people connect with what the pelvic floor, the motion of it, the sensation of what that feels like to contract, lift and let go. And then if we can coordinate it with the breath, because remember I mentioned we have a sump pump action with the diaphragm and the pelvic floor. So if we can combine it with the breath, it becomes a bit more powerful, but then if we can take it into whole body movement, it becomes so much more powerful because laughing, coughing, sneezing, pushing doors open, lifting weights, lifting babies, lifting groceries, whatever it is, that's dying. That's happening when we're moving. It doesn't happen when we're sitting in our chair or when we're lying down on the floor. So doing Kegels lying in your bed or in a chair is better than nothing, but in order for it to translate most effectively to all the things we do in life, we have to train it that way. We have to train it with our fitness, with our lifting, with our pushing, And then eventually it becomes, it's like reminding the pelvic floor of all the things we do and how it's supposed to respond. And then it goes, oh yeah. And then we eventually get to the point where it's automatic again. Like growing up, nobody told us how to do Kegels. The pelvic floor just worked, right? But we get older, we have postural influences. We potentially have been pregnant. We've gone through menstrual cycles. We may have trauma. We may have fear. We may have certain jobs or fitness activities that have increased our risk. Lots of things influence and can interfere with the function of the pelvic floor. And sometimes we just need to retrain it. We need to remind it what to do. 
And so when we learn how to do Kegels, coordinate it with the breath, and then add it into whole body movement, people notice change very, very quickly. Hey, I'm butting in for a quick second. If you enjoy the content brought to you in this podcast, consider supporting Hack My Age by becoming a patron on patreon.com. This is where you can drop a tip or become a member for the price of a coffee. Members get special material, free coaching, and private Zoom calls. Join us by going to patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash hack my age. Thanks for your support. Now let's get back to the podcast. How long do you think it takes? It very quickly means how long? So the buff map challenge is 28 days. By two weeks, the majority of people have noticed an improvement or an elimination of their symptoms. So their prolapse symptoms are less or gone. Their incontinence, like their leaking is improved or gone. People talk about how they don't get up at night to pee anymore. They now they they can sit in the car for two hours and not have to stop every half an hour along the, in a road trip, you know, those types of things. So that if you're doing them consistently and you do it, doing it coordinated with movement, it can happen, you know, within a week, two weeks. That's amazing. And it's life-changing and you don't have to accept all this stuff as just simply aging or being a woman. So I highly recommend people to practice this is it's, it's it's why wouldn't you if you can do this in a couple of weeks but being consistent i think is very important that's why i love your app because it does hold you accountable and there's a group there and we have a chat and we have questions where there you're there and i think it's essential but how long does it take before it starts to become a habit in your normal day in your normal movement because that must be sort of a a psychological training as well now to associate certain movements with the pulling, you know, squeezing and pulling up. So the, lots of people will say it takes 21 days to create a habit. And so the app was 28 days to sort of really solidify the habit and get you in, get you in that routine. If you look at research that, you know, what is the best, most effective way to do Kegel exercises and how many sets and reps do we do? Research says three sets of 10, 10 second holds done three times a day. If you're at home and you're retired and you don't have a busy life, maybe you could set aside three times a day to do your three sets of 10 tech, 10 second holds. But again, that's not training dynamically. And most people have activities that they want to do in, in their day. So again, if we have put, put it into movement, it just becomes part of your already existing movement practice. As you've seen in Buff Muff, we add in pelvic floor contractions to things like squats and lunges and arm raises, all sorts of things. And so once you bridges, yeah, bridges, all sorts of different movement that you probably already have seen or know how to do in a, in a workout or an exercise routine. So the intention with the, the 28 days was to solidify the habit of doing it, but also teach you how to add it into everyday workouts that you're already doing with the intention of it now becoming, that's just, you know, and you can apply it to when you lift a laundry basket or when you're lifting a bag of groceries, you can do a pre-contraction of your pelvic floor called the knack, or when you're going to sneeze, pre-contract the pelvic floor just before you sneeze again, trying to train the pelvic floor to react, but also make sure that it, it's fully engaged to manage that rise in intra-abdominal pressure. That the challenge is meant to lay the foundation, educate you, show you how to do it, bring it into full body movement. And then the intention is that people carry on. Now, some people go into, I have a membership afterwards where it now there's even more, we start to add resistance with a lot more body weight movement and 
weights. And then I also add in hypopresses, which is another technique that requires a little more fine tuning, I would say, but it is the one that's the biggest game changer for organ prolapse for sure. I, you have so much out there too. That I want to cover the, the hypopressives as well. I, I looked that up because I wasn't sure what that was. And that is quite amazing. And not only, I, I mean, I didn't realize it was for pelvic floor. When I did a search, I found a lot of girls with YouTube videos on how to have flat abs or for abdominal exercises or something. So I guess there's a whole lot of other side benefits other than the prolapse. So explain a little bit what the hyperpressive is and what, what the benefits are for, for prolapse and for, you know, also side benefits too. So hypopressive, the term hypo meaning low, pressive meaning pressure. And so it, <clears throat> pardon me, is also referred to as low pressure fitness. It started in Europe and in, in Spain, there was a physiotherapist who was using a speculum most physios, at least in North America, don't use speculums, but this physio happened to be using a speculum. What's a speculum? A speculum is if you've ever had a pap smear and they put in that, usually it's either cool. metal or a plastic gadget and it sort of cranks open a little so they can access and see the cervix. That's a speculum. Oh, got it. This physio was inserting, a, went to insert a speculum and it was cold and it sort of startled the patient. Now this patient did have a prolapse that was pronounced. The bulge was at the entrance to the vagina as the speculum went in, the, the physio noticed that the, there was a retraction of the prolapse. It was sort of, it was almost like it was drawn back in and up. And so the physio is saying, well, what, how did that happen? And so there was an evaluation of, you know, how, what, what made that happen. And out of that came this hypopressive technique. Essentially the technique involves a breath pattern. So harnessing that relationship between the diaphragm and the pelvic floor. And then at the end of a, of an exhalation. So if you've, you've exhaled all of your air, you close your glottis, meaning some people, when they're first learning, will need to close their, like have their mouth closed, but then also plug their nose, but you essentially want to, you, you don't want air to come into the body. So you close off the glottis. And then what you, you do is expand the ribs as if you were taking a breath in. So when we take a breath in our ribs expand to let the, so the lungs can expand and bring in air. So when we expand the ribs without air coming into the body, it creates a pressure change. And what happens is there's a sort of a drawing in and up of, if you look at it externally, you'll see the abdomen sort of, it's almost looks like the abdomen is being sucked inwards and upwards. If you've ever seen bodybuilders do a stomach vacuum, it looks very similar to that. If you've ever been, if you do yoga, or if you've seen people who are higher level yogis, they do something called Uddiyana Bandha. It looks very similar to that. The difference with hypopressives compared to the stomach vacuum and Uddiyana Bandha is those have a voluntary component to it where there's, there is some activation of the abdominal wall in conjunction with expanding the ribs. Whereas in hypopressives, we just expand the ribs and allow a, an involuntary response to, to have that drawing up action and why it's so effective for prolapse is for the bladder in particular, there's a ligament that attaches from the bladder up to the belly button, to the umbilicus. It's called the arachis ligament. And when we do an apnea, the breath hold part where we expand the ribs and there's that drawing up of the abdominal wall, the belly button sort of elevates almost draws in and up and that therefore influences that ligament and pulls on that. So it can pull the bladder upwards as well, if that makes sense. 
And so it's most effective for bladder prolapse. Next in line would be uterine. It is, I'm not going to say it doesn't have any effect for a rectocele. So that's what I had where the rectum bulges into the vagina. It doesn't have quite as much of a pronounced effect there, but there are uh, additional benefits to doing it. If that happened to be the type of prolapse you have until hypopressives came on the scene, somebody with prolapse was basically told, well, let's just try to prevent it from getting worse. There was really no hope of improving it. And in some cases, even completely reversing it. So if you catch it in time, especially bladder and uterine, if you catch it within like stage one to stage two, I know myself included, I reversed a stage two uterine prolapse. I know many people who have reversed completely stage two bladder and uterine prolapse stage three. Many people will, I I have not had any clients that have completely reversed a stage three, but they've got to a stage one or stage one and a half. So remarkable improvement. So until hypopressis came on the scene, it was sort of like, well, your hope was kind of, you didn't really have much hope of doing anything to improve it. Whereas hypopressis completely changed that. And it has changed people's lives. It has taken people out of despair of this diagnosis to back lifting heavy, back running, back doing all the things that they, they wanted to do. It also helps with incontinence as well. It also helps with it's, it's a core exercise. It is an incredible deep core activation. So people with diastasis recti, so that's where the, if these are your two six pack muscles in our abdominal wall in pregnancy, especially, but for other reasons, it can happen as well. The the rectus can move away from the midline and create a bit of a gap with some loose connective tissue. It can hypopressives can help with that. It helps with posture. It helps with pelvic pain. So it can really downregulate overactivity, which is very common in people with pain. And I I think I mentioned posture already, but even breathing. So because it's such, it's so, it's very much a breathing technique. And so people can be like, they can reduce stress. It's kind of like a form of moving, moving meditation. There's so many benefits. It's, it is hands down the most amazing, my absolute favorite technique of all time hands down. This is amazing. I love that you, you teach the breath work as well. And this is what I found in the buff Muff program. And I just finished my advanced teacher training with the oxygen advantage with Patrick. McCallum, oh, cool. And he taught us all about intra-abdominal pressure. And he talked a lot about uh, posture, about movement, lower back pain, all these other issues that are resolved with proper functional breathing. And I was blown away. So this is completely tying it in all together. And, and so it's like, you're getting so much more benefit with not only with the, the, the pelvic floor exercises, but with the breath work, it's just double whammy and, uh, and you'll improve your, your sleep and, and the stress. And this just it just, the list goes on and on. So I'm so happy. And I saw you teaching the way that he taught us how to breathe because way I was learning through yoga classes or something is just the belly up, the belly down. And we learned, no, this is your, your ribs are expanding. Everything's expanding all around. And you, you just taught that perfectly. So I was really excited to, to see that people getting benefits. One question that we have here is um, going back to these exercises. 
uh, the hypopressive ones, I'm, I'm guessing, is she asks if it's the same results as you would get with vaginal rejuvenation with the laser. Because people do go for vaginal yeah, rejuvenation with yeah. their laser technique before uh, incontinence. And I'm not sure about prolapse, but we, we, we talked about incontinence before on a podcast with laser. There are all sorts of vaginal rejuvenation techniques. There's laser, there's radio frequency, there's light therapies, there's heat all of them with different benefits. Like say, for instance, a very popular one is the Mona Lisa, the Mona Lisa touch. And that is very effective for vaginal atrophy or dryness, um, sort of that narrowing and also incontinence. When you're looking into the specific lasers and find out what exactly, what type of technology is it and what is it designed for? They all some of them may say, you know, people just think vaginal rejuvenation is going to heal all, all that ails them, but there are different components that they all address. So you want to make sure that what you're struggling with, that that specific technology will address from a prolapse perspective, there is some people that would suggest that a side effect of a lot of these therapies is increased collagen <clears throat> production, which some people would say would plump up the walls and therefore maybe I wouldn't feel my prolapse or maybe it would heal my prolapse. And while that sounds logical, it may help to some extent, but in terms of actually improving the position of that organ, I don't know of any therapies that have completely eliminated somebody's prolapse. It may reduce some of the symptoms temporarily but I hypopress is, is way more effective specifically for prolapse. If you're talking about incontinence, some of them are very effective for incontinence, but my disclaimer here is regardless of whether you choose to do laser light therapy, whatever vaginal rejuvenation technique, you still need to move your muscles. You still need that activity in there. So there's lots of therapies. There's even a chair, a Kegel throne, people call it that you can sit on that does like 13,000 Kegels in a 20 minute session. And yes, there's some good research to show how effective it is, but I still, if you have the capacity to move your own muscles, move your own muscles, invest in a pelvic floor physio, maybe do a couple of sessions with a hypopressive trainer. You would, you'll, you'll have way more money in your pocket at the end of it, and you will have longer term results and benefits and tools. Those things last not forever. So you will have to pay a lot of money each year to, to keep going back. And I, I don't believe that we should outsource our pelvic floor fitness. I like the vaginal rejuvenation for the tissue aspect. I love the idea of increasing collagen production. I love the idea of addressing dryness, but incontinence, pelvic floor fitness and pelvic floor physio has an 80% cure rate, 80%. That's significant higher than those vaginal rejuvenation therapies and a lot cheaper. So I like them. I love the technology that we have available in conjunction with pelvic floor fitness. Yeah, that's a great, great advice. And we had this great podcast with Dr. Effie Roboti on vaginal rejuvenation. And what was exciting for me too, was to hear about not only, you know, solving these problems and because if you don't have them, you may go, oh, okay, well, what's the benefit, but the change in, in sexual relationships and having better sex or being more juicy or having the more blood flow. And so I imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the pelvic floor exercises are beneficial for those who don't have these issues yet either. Or there and there and are there others? Yes. And you said it earlier that you're proactive. I'm very much the same. I would rather prevent a problem from happening rather than waiting for a problem to exist that I have to fix. 
unfortunately, the majority of people wait for the problem to <laughs> occur to fix. That's not everybody thinks proactively, but absolutely. If we have pelvic floor muscles that are working well, that are responding to all the things that we do as they should, we can experience more pleasurable sex. We are more likely to be able to achieve orgasm. If we have muscles that are holding on to that tension, we're, it's, we're going to have a hard time reaching orgasm. The same as if we have a lot of laxity, we might not have as much sensation. So we could have the same difficulty as well. The O shot is another technology, new technology that is, well, it's not even that new really, but when it first came out, I remember thinking, uh, I didn't love the marketing behind it, but I love the technology. So it's meant to improve sexual health and improve orgasm. But what they're doing is using PRP, so platelet-rich plasma, which also is used in many different facial and other um, therapies. And a lot of surgeons are now using PRP as part of their surgical recovery protocol because it's helping, again, stimulate that production of collagen and, and healing. So I look at things like pelvic floor injuries, birth injuries even, um, and then as we get to menopause and when there's more laxity, those types of things, again, in conjunction with pelvic floor therapy and fitness, I think is so powerful. There's so much opportunity for improvement and for it. Cause sex is a, sex is a pelvic floor exercise. It's beneficial for the pelvic floor to, to have sex. It doesn't have to be with a partner. We can have sex by ourselves. It doesn't have to be penetrative, but it can, and there is benefit to having something penetrate. So even like one of my favorite devices is called the V fit or the, the V sculpt if it's named in Canada. And it's, looks kind of like a dildo, but it has red light therapy. It has infrared heat and it has vibration, which, so it can be used from a pleasure perspective. It can also be used just as a therapy and it can also be used to heighten your Kegels. So if you want to just do an isolated, isolated set of Kegels with your V sculpt or your V fit with the vibration, you've all seen those vibration platforms that are used in fitness. And again, when those first came out, I sort of thought, oh my gosh, well, this is a bit of a gimmick, but so much research supports how valuable they are for our bone density and muscle recruitment. And so when we look at it in a pelvic floor perspective, if I'm doing my Kegels against a vibration, or even if I'm standing on one of those platforms, I'm going to get more bang for my buck. There'll be more recruitment, more activity that's happening, which in, in turn can potentially aid with pleasure, with sensation and improve our sex. Sex is beneficial for the pelvic floor. It's beneficial for longevity. As a gerontologist, we study yeah, sex. So we <laughs> and, and yeah, and older adults are having sex and we should. And the ones who are having regular sex and healthy sexual relationships are, are living longer. So this is something yes. we want to improve if it's not optimized already. And uh, so I'm all for it. And that's that's what I'm excited too, is not only for prevention, but hey, you know, let's keep the sex going and, and yeah. continue to be juicy. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I wanted to also mention the breath work that you do. So this is great for so many other things, but what my goal is with what I'm learning through the Buff Muff program is, okay, how can I incorporate this in my daily life? And I train, I go to the gym or I train at home. And so I'm trying to be really be conscious of just like you were teaching us, these, these are exercises I'm doing anyway. So why can't I do it with the pelvic floor exercises? Cause I'm not going to take 10 minutes, you know, every single day, three times a day, I want to incorporate in my life. And I think this is, I've got, I've got hip impingement, I've got a knee issues and, you know, I'm athletic and I always have something. So I truly believe that what you're teaching is going to be so beneficial for people like me who 
you know, you, as you age, it's so it's very common to have joint issues and we we can solve them. And as, as long as we continue to live our lives and move, have functional movement. And and I think in the beginning, it's a little work. OK, you have to think about it. But over time it becomes a habit and you just it's unconscious and you you just continue with it. So I'm really excited to be learning from you. And I thought the exercise, it was interesting how you teach on the out breath. No, no, sorry, yeah, to the on the out breath to relax. And then on the inhale, that's when you want to squeeze and pull up and you explain it with the blueberry um thing. Nope, opposite. Oh, to oh, that. the opposite. Okay, wait. Yeah. We're inhaling. So in, inhale is where you relax. Relax. Yeah. And then we and exhales. And most people. That's what you want to do it opposite. Part. Yeah. Most we, people I might... say, yes. Most people are used to thinking about inhaling and sucking and drawing up. And that's where they think they need to activate their pelvic floor. But physiologically, the diaphragm and the pelvic floor are kind of like BFFs. They, they move in synergy. And so when we take a breath in the diaphragm, lowers and flattens out. That's where we talk about that lateral costal. So the ribs, we need the ribs to expand so that the, the lungs can inflate and the diaphragm has its most opportunity to cut, to flatten out. And that draws air in. And then in order also for the diaphragm to come down as low as it can, it wants the belly to expand and it wants the pelvic floor to lengthen. And if we are women in particular are very good at holding their abs in, like keeping them contracted all day long, that can interfere with our breath. If we sit, you know, a lot of people who leak or maybe who have prolapse will often be guarded and they'll, they'll always, because you have that feeling of something's going to fall out, you're always tensing. So that will also interfere with the breath, like the diaphragm being able to come down. So we need to release. And so the inhales are all about letting things relax and expand to get as much air into the body as possible. And then the exhales are where the activation happens. So that's where the diaphragm is lifting back up. The pelvic floor is contracting and the ab abdomen is drawing inwards towards the spine. And all of that is meant to expel the stale air. So inhales are inviting all this air, beautiful, fresh air to come into the body. Exhales are moving the stale air out of the body. Now in things like a lot of time in yoga, or a lot of times people will say, <sighs> like your exhales are where you just like, you let go. And you relax and, and it, you're sort of, you're, you're exhaling and letting stress go, which yes, that's true. But physiologically, what is still happening is the pelvic floor is helping get that air out by activating as is the, the abdomen. So it's totally reversed to what a lot of people do. And that's the biggest struggle at the beginning is trying to repattern this. Okay. So I'm supposed to inhale and release and relax. And again, people have been stuck in that kind of guarded position. It's hard for them to let go. Yeah. So yeah, inhales are all about in like creating space, relaxing, lengthening the pelvic floor. I think of, I, I always use the cues, either blossom your vulva or imagine your sit bones gliding apart or that diamond shape, those four points expanding away from one another. And then the exhales are where we activate and pick up one of the cues is pick up blueberries with your vagina or sip a smoothie through a milk uh, straw with your vagina. Yeah, I that you've caught me exactly. So I, it, it, I struggle. I st I'm still struggling yeah. <laughs> when I try to explain it. And I do catch myself in the exercises. I'm like, wait, 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 wait a second. Okay, am I doing it right? And yeah, I still need to consciously think about it because the automatic response is to do the opposite. Yes. And so that's probably what a lot of people are doing. If you're listening to this, you know, just go to the Buff Muff challenge. <laughs> 
and get it right because you don't want to be doing the opposite thing and getting it wrong. So I, I really want to stress to people, I, I, I'm so happy with this program. It's so affordable. And if you guys want to get that, it's at vaginacoach.com forward slash buff muff. It's like having a buff muff, right? And you can use a discount <laughs> code of 50% off. I can't believe it. Um, that's the best code I have ever gotten from anyone just by using Zora 50. Um, before we go, I, have, I still have a couple of questions left. And I want to ask if people want to have a pelvic floor specialist where do they go? How, how do they find one? And do you work virtually? I do work virtually. If you have an opportunity to see somebody in person who can do an internal evaluation and treatment, I highly recommend it. And I have a video on my YouTube channel that explores and sort of explains what happens in a pelvic floor physiotherapy assessment. They're typically about an hour long for the first time. There's a health history taken. They, there's a whole body approach the internal portion doesn't always happen in the first session. And when it does happen, it's not, it doesn't take a whole hour. It's maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes, depending on if somebody needs some, some treatment component to it, but it's, it's gloved fingers. The therapist will evaluate the external genitalia. Uh, they will then evaluate internally with one or two fingers, depending on the person. The, the internal will only happen with your consent. If there's any pain or discomfort that it stops. So you're fully part of the entire process. Most people walk away and say, I can't believe I lived 45, 55, however many years in this body. And I didn't know this about, you know, I've had sex, I've given birth, I've, you know, I've done all these things and I didn't know this about my body. And, and so it's really transformative in terms of body education. So they can assess the capacity of the muscles to come together. So that closure. They can assess if there's a gentle drawing up that happens and then can that let go. So they assess the, the Kegel portion. They will assess the position of the organs. A really great therapist will also assess you in standing because the presentation of that or the organ position will be different standing up against gravity than it will lying down on a bed. And as I mentioned, it's, it's a whole body approach. So they also look at potentially, is it your posture? Is it your breath strategy? Is there tightness in your glutes or your hips or your hamstrings or, you know, all sorts of things that, that could potentially influence the pelvic floor in terms of how you find somebody to work with the easiest place to start is go to Google and put in pelvic floor physio or pelvic floor physical therapy and your city town, wherever you are in the world, they're not everywhere, but maybe if, if you're in a more remote area, pick the closest, largest city and start there. You can also go to the physiotherapy organizations. So in Canada, it's the Canadian Physiotherapy Association. In the US, it's the American Physical Therapy Association. And each of those have a women's health section where you can search. Again, it's not an exhaustive list there. In Canada, there's also another resource called pelvichealthsolutions.ca. And there's also one in the States called pelvicguru.com. And that one is where I direct most people to, because it is now it's global and there are pelvic health, physical therapists, there are fitness professionals, there are doctors and medical professionals as well, who all specialize in pelvic health. So that's a good, maybe even a good place to start if you want to, to see if there's somebody you can search by your country or your city or your postal code and see who comes up on there. Again, not an exhaustive list, but it's a, it's a good place to start. 
Perfect. Oh my gosh. So many great resources. What about websites where people just want to learn more? Of course, you got, I think going to you, vaginacoach.com is the first place, but are there any other books or podcasters or anywhere where people are talking about pelvic floor health where we can learn more? Lots of people. There's a, I shouldn't say lots. There's a few of us on YouTube. So if you go to YouTube and put in pelvic floor, um, a great colleague of mine is femme fusion fitness. So she's her and I are very aligned and a lot of people in her programs are also in mine. So we have, we, we were very aligned, I would say. So YouTube is a good place to go. There's a, there's a several different podcasts. There's one called, I'm going to forget the name, but the, her name is the, the physio who runs it is called Lori Forner. She's out of Australia, F-O-R-N-E-R. I think it's just called the pelvic health podcast. If I, if I am not mistaken, Oh wow. <laughs> whole podcast just dedicated to pelvic floor. That's yeah. It's all pelvic health. And then there's another one from Anthony Lowe. Anthony Lowe is a physiotherapist in Australia as well. He has, and I'm forgetting the name of his, but if you go again to oh. podcast pelvic floor and find Anthony, A-N-T-O-N-Y-L-O is his last name. I'll have this all in the show notes as well. I'll find them yeah. and, and, and make links to them. Yes. It's a plug, but my book, your pelvic floor, which launched in March is it really was meant to be kind of like your Bible where it, 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 it walks through all the different life stages it all the different influences. It talks about menstruation. It talks about hormones, talks about pregnancy. It talks about childbirth. It talks about midlife. It's got all the different life stages that you could go through. Um, and there's also case studies in there as well, which I know people like to read and, and hear about. So it's a really good place to start. I would say for people as well to, to read that. And we, where can we buy that book? Amazon's the easiest for everybody to go to. You can find the link on my website in my books section, or you can just go to Amazon and put in your pelvic floor and you'll find it. Oh, super easy. So, okay. One other last question um, before we go is what are your plans for the future? What, what's, <laughs> what else are you going to come out with that we can look forward to? Well, I'm excited for two things. I'm launching a, a new app that will, so right now the, the, Oh, the buff muff challenge is in, is in an app, but all of my other content isn't. And I'm putting it all into one app and pretty soon people will be able to go to the buff muff app and find some free resources as well as some paid, um, some paid resources for, I, I view pelvic health, like a lifestyle and we need to look at how we're eating. We need to look at sleep. We need to look at movement. And so I've incorporated guest experts, meal plans, on-demand workouts that involve yoga or resistance training or body weight and to support you. Cause it is, it's not something that's just a quick fix. You do once and you're cured. You it's, it's a lifestyle. It's a, it's an approach to, to living. So I'm excited about that. That'll be coming out in November. And then the other thing is launching a surgery program. While the work that I do is very much around helping people avoid surgery. Sometimes surgery is the best option for, for people. And I, I wanted to remove the shame associated with somebody pursuing surgery, but also provide information because people have very little time with a surgeon and they have no idea what questions to ask. They are just told they have this problem and here's the solution and they go through it and they have no idea how to prehab, how to get ready for the surgery or how to rehab. And I think a lot of the reason why there's a high recurrence rate with pelvic surgeries is because things like constipation or movement, exercise, pelvic floor function are not addressed ahead of time. And if those surgery 
attempts to fix the anatomy. It doesn't fix the strategies, the compensation patterns, the habits, behaviors that most likely contributed to that developing in the first place. So the surgery program, I'm, I'm doing a prototype version in October and then um, towards the end of the year, it'll be launched as an evergreen online program to help support people who are thinking about or who have chosen surgery and want some support through the process to know what questions to ask and how should I recover? How should I prepare? What foods should I have? What, you know, how do I address my constipation? All that kind of stuff. Super important if you're going to go for surgery. And I love that you are removing the shame around that because you're right. There are some people who just can't get around it and they have to. And so how can you best prepare without having to have to have a a recurring event and have to do it all over again. Who wants that? So um, one thing before I would love to open up, ask if anyone else wants to ask questions, undo your mic as we, before we go, I see one here. What is surgery like? Is that okay? What is, what to expect with surgery? If somebody gets surgery, that's, that's Magdalena's question here. Yeah, that's a, that's a big question because there are so many different types of surgery. So there's incontinent surgeries, there's prolapse surgeries, and there's different types of prolapse surgery. There's hysterectomies, there's all sorts of different types um, and reasons why somebody would have. So part of the program will be outlining all of the different types of surgeries that are available and understanding the pros and cons to each. Some may involve native tissue repairs, meaning there's no mesh use. Some of them will use mesh and mesh is a big, scary word in the world of pelvic health. So explaining the differences there and then what the recovery looks like. Cause again, it depends on the type of surgery that you have. And some people have multiple prolapse and maybe even incontinence all fixed at the same time. So it's hard to say exactly what surgery is, is very invasive. It's, it's a trauma, it's an injury to the body, but I think that we can get into a certain mental state. We can address our nutrition. We can address our stress. We can address our function ahead of time and as part of our recovery to help optimize the outcome. Is the recovery you're in a hospital for several days or are you out the same day? Yeah, not necessarily. There are some where you are out the same day or there's some where you will stay in for a few days. So it really just depends on again, what type of surgery you're having. One last question I also missed um, here in the chat is when we were talking about estradiol gels and sprays compared to the vaginal ones, like the pellets, she meant that she was asking about the gel that you would put on your arm, on your skin, and your arm, as opposed to a gel that you put in, in the vagina. Yeah. So that's more, that's the systemic estrogen. So for the benefits specifically in the walls of the vagina, you really want local vaginal estrogen. Any other questions? I would just like to ask for the for the end, how um, what can we expect from these surgeries? Is it helpful? What is the result? What can we expect? 80%, 100%? Because I have a friend, she did this uh, surgery. She was quite young. I think she was 40, 45 years old. And uh, she said that it would be better not to do it because it was not helpful at all, but very, very painful. So I have no experience, but I, I guess that you know a lot about it. So is it, um, is it good to decide for surgery or not at all? Again, it can be a really good option for some people. So there can be 
tissue disruption that is beyond repair. So you could do as much laser as you want, as much O-shot, as much therapy, and it, it won't change that. And so surgery may be a good option at that point. In terms of efficacy rates, so there are there's not there's not a ton of research to show that they're always super effective. And that's the part that holds people back. So there's a recurrence rate of, of 30% that usually happens within the first two years after the surgery. But again, I think a big reason why that number is so high is because constipation hasn't been addressed. Like all the research I've been doing for my surgery program and speaking with people who've had it, so many people will say I had chronic constipation and then they have their surgery and they haven't addressed the constipation. And so that greatly increases your risk of even, especially in that initial phase where you're dealing with the healing and the, the remodeling of the tissue. So no, there's nothing that says it's hundred percent effective. There's not even any, anything to say that it's 80% effective. There's lots of people that have great results, great success. It, it can last a long time. Most surgeons will say and research shows that Many pelvic surgeries, especially prolapse surgeries, are, have a life window of around average of five years. I know people that are 10, 15 years post. I know some people that are 20 years that have never had it again, but I also know that there's other people that have had multiples within a five or 10 year window. So there are lots of risks. Yeah, it's a big decision to have surgery. But I think, my opinion, if you have addressed digestion and gut health and constipation, if you have worked with a pelvic floor physio, if you have, are you doing pelvic floor exercise or if you're incorporating hypopressives, if all of those have been done and pessaries, we didn't talk about pessaries. Those are like orthotics for your vagina. So orthotics we put in to support our, our feet. We can have orthotics in our vaginas to support the walls and to support the organs. So if we've addressed all the conservative measures and nothing has helped, then surgery may be an option. Some people at that point just decide to live with it because they're they could just be changing one set of symptoms for another. So sometimes people have pain afterwards, or sometimes they have incontinence that they didn't have now that they fix this problem. And so some people just say, I'm just going to live with this. Other people aren't prepared to live with it. They want to take that risk. I'm going to go and, and do it. And I think that if they have done all of the prehab and they have everything in place, I think their outcome would be much more likely to be positive and have a longer term, like a long longevity of it. Um, and also that they still do all the things they did for prehab as part of their rehab and their ongoing day-to-day -day life. I do hypopresses every day. I do pelvic floor activated movement every day. I see a pelvic floor physio once or twice a year. I avoid constipation. Like I do all the, I do all the things because I, I want to preserve my pelvic health. And, and I know I've experienced prolapse. I've experienced a pelvic surgery. I had incontinence before I knew all this, after the birth of my second child, I was in a fitness class and I had experienced incontinence and I had started selling products and was talking about pelvic floor fitness, but I hadn't really accepted or appreciated the need to retrain after pregnancy and that Kegels weren't enough for me. So I've experienced all, a lot of the things. And all I can say is yeah, it, it takes work. It definitely takes work, but, and it is a whole, it is a whole life type thing, <laughs> but from a surgery perspective, it's a huge, huge decision, but if you find the right surgeon, if you do all the work beforehand, I do think that it can really be a great option, but I always, I always want people to have pursued all of the conservative methods first. Thank you. And you, I mean, regarding this, what you told that you had some problems, how do you feel now? 
Oh, everything. Okay. hundred <laughs> percent. I wouldn't say I have the same vagina I did before giving birth. So for me, I had, even though I didn't have any external tearing with the birth of my first, and, and really at the time I had never heard of the term prolapse before I had never heard of a term called levator ani evulsion, which I had. So 30% of people that I think it's 30 or 33% of people that give birth vaginally have a birth injury called levator ani evulsion. Levator ani is one of the groups of pelvic floor muscles that levator ani means lift the anus. And the attachment point for anybody who's watching in video, right at the in our pubic, the front of the pelvis on our pubic joint, off to the side, there's a an attachment point, like the, the muscles are attaching there just off to the left or right of the pubic joint. And in an avulsion, part or all of that muscle tears away from the bone. So I have a partial avulsion on my left side that in greatly increases your risk of prolapse and it can't be repaired. So knowing again, that that many people have that, I, I, I am shocked, honestly, that that is not m more screened for after people are giving birth. I just think that it's crazy, but anyway, so that increased my risk, but I, I didn't know until years later that I had that even seeing pelvic floor physios, not all physios screen for that. So I didn't know until years and years and years later that I had that partial avulsion, but looking back, it explains why even the amount of exercise that I do, I still feel like I have an element of weakness. Um, so where I'm at now, the levator and I avulsion cannot be repaired. I had a uterine prolapse that I reversed on my own. I also had what's called a rectocele. So that's where the rectum bulges the posterior wall of the vagina. I lived with that for nine years. And as I'm approaching menopause, my symptoms were really interfering with my quality of life. I had tried all conservative options and considered surgery for about four years and finally made the decision to, to do it. I did that in December of December of 2020. And so I'm, so I'm at like, I don't know, what am I 10 months ish now, I guess, and or nine months or so right now. And I feel I'm very happy. I did it. I eliminated the symptoms that were bothersome. People with a rectocele have a very difficult time, especially with bowel movements and especially with the ones that happen later in the day, if you happen to have more than one in a day. And I really struggled with that. And if you don't have a successful one, it, it is very, very uncomfortable and you don't want to do anything. You don't want to move. You don't want to have sex. You don't want to be social. You want, you just want to curl up in a ball and not do anything. So that has gone. I still have the sensation of weakness that I had before. Um, I would say I feel a little bit stronger than I did before because I can, I have my muscles can work a little bit, a little better because they're not managing that organ displacement. So it's not perfect. I would say, I feel like probably 90% of, of perfect, I would say which is pretty good. I mean, I'm very happy with that. I lift weights. I played volleyball. I, you know, I don't do a lot of high impact activity. I don't do a, I don't do super, super heavy lifting. I never have, that's not been my thing, but I do resistance training. I lift heavier than what a lot of women do, but I'm not, a, I'm not like a CrossFit or a, like a super Olympic lifter or anything like that. I've done a little bit of kind of walk run. I haven't gone back to complete running. I don't think I ever will go back to complete running, knowing that I have that avulsion. I'm at an increased risk. So for me, if I didn't have that evolution and I just had the rectocele repair, I would go back to running. I also don't run because of this no more <laughs> for the last 10 years. I mean, this is how to say, I'm very grateful that you are so open because you are really the right person to help people because you know exactly what are you talking about. That's so important. 
thank you so much to share. No, I'm glad you, yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And, and yeah, I mean, sometimes I, I think, oh my God, I can't believe I'm saying this on social media, but, <laughs> but I, I, I value people that share their stories openly and I value honesty and transparency. And that's, I'm, I'm helping people really. Yeah. Yes. This is, a, this is a topic nobody would like to talk about, no, but we should, because we all have the same problems but this is like hidden somewhere, you know, we are all okay, but it's coming uh, with aging after giving a birth and so on. And it's normal thing, I think for nearly every woman. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very common. And, you know, my goal really is to help people. And so if I can help by sharing my story and, and being open about it, then, then I will, because somebody's got to do it, I guess. Yeah. I heard today, some things I have never heard before, you know. I also didn't know before what is um, pelvic floor. I mean, this was, you know, this is something nobody. And I'm really grateful that I'm today here and listening to you, your experience, your story, and so on. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm glad you came. Like, and and I appreciate your questions too. Thank you very much. So this is great that we're opening this box. And this is the goal that I wanted to have is to talk about these things that people may feel it's taboo and you're really disrupting that. And it's, you're just pioneering this. And I am so, so happy. And the experience that you have as well, the, the knowledge, the, the, you're very, very, very well certified in all of this. So I know that you're helping so many people and I just hope we can keep spreading the word and people become aware of it. And that's sort of my job as well is to, you know, not bring shame, you know, remove that and, and let's get talking about our vaginas. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you very much for the, for the podcast that you, that you have. I've learned a lot from, from your other guests and, and I really appreciate the opportunity to share and help spread the information. Wonderful. Oh, thank you. So if anybody wants to reach out to you, I, I've given the vagina, vaginacoach.com. You're also on Instagram and Facebook. Simple is vagina coach for Instagram, Facebook, vag coach. And I'm assuming because they blocked you from that word. It's been, I, it took me years to even get to the point of being allowed to use vag coach, which I, Anyway, it's a, it's a long story, but hopefully one day it will actually have vagina, but for right now it's vag coach. And yeah, (laughs) so we got to teach Facebook something because (laughs) if we can't just use the proper terminology, then what do we do? Right. Exactly. So please reach out the the best way for someone to reach you. Is there a better way? What's, what would you recommend? Yeah. Social media. You can direct message me. If you want, you can email me Kim at vaginacoach.com. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time. I hope to have you on again to talk about something more specific as well that women are experiencing. If you're listening now and we haven't covered something that you want to talk about with Kim, please message us uh, any either way on social media or our website. So thank you so much. Thank you everyone who's listening and I'll see you next time. Thank you. Hey, did you enjoy the podcast? Don't forget to subscribe to be notified of all the new episodes and leave a review to help build the tribe. It's a small act of kindness that brings me big benefits and helps others find this amazing content. The best thing you can do is share. Sharing is caring. 
statements made on this podcast have not been evaluated by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Anything we say or products we mention are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information provided by this podcast is not a substitute for personal medical advice and not intended to replace a one-on-one relationship with a qualified healthcare professional. It is intended as a sharing of knowledge and information from the personal research and experience of me and my guests.